As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling? All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paulino Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. How are we doing, Jay? Doing well. Happy for Thanksgiving. Yeah, we have a lot to be thankful for. We do. You know, but let's not focus on that, Jay. That would be wrong. No, Bengal fans don't want to hear that. We don't want giving thanks. We don't want happiness. Our pets' heads are falling off. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, we have more. I guess this is like the bad up, the bad burrow sode, right? This is good. We're gonna we we do. I mean, we have a lot to talk about with the injury diagnosis, what it really means through the lens of twenty twenty one benchmarks we need to be looking for comps of people that have had this type of injury what that has looked like who to bl- the blame game is still out there we've still got more to get into with that jay's got some stats that are gonna really sadden you he's i'm thankful for jay's sad stats <laughs> it, 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 i knew it was gonna be bad but i didn't know it was gonna be that bad Excellent tease. Excellent tease. That coming uh, later on in the episode. Um, run past our boot. All the things that we normally do are here for you, but we have a lot to get to, so let's not waste too much more time. Um, let's start with this. Diagnosis in Joe Burrow came in on Monday. ACL and MCL tear, and you get into the the rest. There's partial stuff going on in there as well but the the core being acl and mcl tear nine month injury is sort of what i've been told it is is the way to look at this and they have full expectations that he will be back for the 2021 season and now <laughs> notice the way i phrased that the same way that head coach zach taylor phrased that on monday discussing it when pressed on the start of the 2021 season uh 
He said, "I the 2021 season. You know, to think that you could accurately, because nine months, you play it out, you're in that area around week one. You're in late camp, late preseason, week one area when you get into nine months. To think that anyone in their right mind <laughs> would predict oh yeah you know you saw you know when you remember when you saw 600 pounds tossed into this dude's knee the wrong way and hasn't even had surgery yet hasn't even the swelling hasn't even gone down yet remember that happened yeah i could accurately predict specifically 9 months definitely on the dot this guy will for sure be back there are ranges on recovery processes for everybody these things go up to you can't say for sure. The bottom line is you would think the hope is that in 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 your your best case scenario, maybe even you would consider your typical case scenario, 9 months has you back right there at that August September timeline somewhere and you hope he's back for week 1. Is it we've seen in the past, you know, sometimes Carson Wentz they they were cautious and they sat him out the first two weeks. He was a December. He was December tenth. They sat him out the first two weeks and he came back in like week three and then played the rest of the season. You you could see something like that. Maybe you miss a week or two. Uh, maybe you miss you know all the training camp preseason, which is nothing new for him. That's where it's at right now. That's what we know. You know, I think there was a lot of reporting of. Oh no! It's. It's way worse than we thought, right? To get everybody, I I think if you saw that injury, it's probably about what you thought it would be. And when you hear, you know, the the expectation is that this should be a nine month recovery, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but that he will you will have Joe Burrow back as quarterback for the Bengals for, I would say, you know, at least the vast majority, if not probably all of the twenty twenty one season. That's what we know right now yeah it's interesting um because if we're talking comps and you talk about the carson wentz situation it's just they, they were coming off a super bowl win they had a little bit more luxury of time whereas with you know are the Bengals going to be tempted this you know if zach's back next year and this if this season ends the way we think it's going to end there is going to be a lot of pressure to win and win right away so you, you wonder whether the Bengals would would be as patient um, w- with Joe as, as the Eagles were with Carson. And then I, I had a question for you too, because you've been talking to, to doctors and when they say nine months, is that average or is that best case scenario? I think that's what they consider to be average. I think that's what, I mean, you, you'll hear nine to 12. Okay. And that, you know, I talked to, I talked to multiple doctors about this, you know, not just and not not the doctor who 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 yells things on Twitter, not the doctor who stands outside of the office that you work at and screams to you, I think your knee's screwed up, brother. You know, like <laughs> I, the real the the head uh, surgeon for the the Brooklyn Nets, um, people who are the at the top of their profession, and you know, nine months is and that is pretty much what they said is that's. That's what you would expect this injury to be. You get into well, – here's the thing. So we hear, you hear ACL and MCL, right? And the doctor said the, the, the MCL aspect of this is about – it's something you see in 30 to 40% of these types of injuries. Um, that, that happens. 
it does not affect the timeline. The idea that the MCL on top of the ACL affects the timeline is a, is, is a false narrative. It's, it's not, it doesn't at all. So, so you then go back to really the typical ACL timeline. And I mean, you look at some of the ACL recoveries that we have seen, um, you know, Giovanni Bernard, Clint Bowling, Carl Lawson, all in recent years have gotten hurt at the same time or later and been back at the beginning of training camp, July, with no issue, out there on the practice field. We've seen that. You, know, you get into straight ACLs, you, you, you know, there's the quarterbacks alone, a lot of them that have happened on later timelines than this. Deshaun Watson missed no games. Uh, his rookie year, Deshaun Watson. People forget this, you know, you because careers go on, and you just, you know, Deshaun Watson was killing it. Uh, he played about two months, and he tore his ACL, and he was back for a full season. I think he's missed one game since. He's that back for the full season the next year? Made the Pro Bowl the next year. It was great. Um, Tom Brady in 08, his injury, and that was at the beginning of the season. But you know. Has Tom Brady been good since then? Is he still playing? Right? Uh, Donovan McNabb in 06. Sam Bradford had it twice. Um, you know, there's a lot of arguments for his career and, and why it was what it was. We he, we know that. But he's he came back and played both times. And I mentioned Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz had the ACL and LCL, which is different. And the doctor I spoke to said, that's actually worse for your timeline, for everything. The LCL was harder to deal with. And Carson Wentz got hurt later and came back after only missing two games back in 2017. And we talk about comps. <laughs> and the easiest one to make around this building is Carson Palmer. And I went back and looked at the diagnosis after it happened as far as what they were saying, what they were writing, what it, what it was. Man, <laughs> ACL, MCL, some other stuff in there. Career threatening was thrown around. And Carson Palmer played in the preseason the next year. That happened in January of 06, 15 years ago. You know, the technology is different now. There, there's more advancements now, obviously. And some of those advancements are in that they understand to just let these guys go the full nine months. The point being that you, you can be back to full activity but you just the recommendation is to to not go back into contact in nine months because you just just let it fully heal, and that's where the nine comes from. Is like you know, then you're in the clear. It's part of why they held Wentz out a little longer. But the Carson the Palmer thing is like is wild because you're talking about same team later situation. So much sounds the same when you talk about what was hurt, and if you can look at that as an example, it's great. Same knee too. I think that's important because if it's the left knee and you, as a quarterback, you're planting that, that is, that is the one that you're a little more worried about because that's, that's the one that's probably you, you, you're going to have bodies all around you. It's not just taking that hit. It's just the, the, the ancillary bodies on the ground because that's the way linemen are taken, taken to the ground, both offense and defense, how it plays out. The other thing is I think <clears throat> the, the really, important thing here is what you mentioned the technology to, to to put it in layman's terms that anyone out there listening imagine if you had one what your cell phone looked like in 2005 and what it looks like now i mean just <laughs> it, it's just i mean it doesn't sound for people our age it doesn't sound that long ago 
2005, really it was 2000, it was 2005 season, 2006 in January, but that's forever in medical and scientific advancement. And if Carson was able to do that with, with essentially the, the same injury, there's, there's no one should be doubting. I mean, everybody's different, but there, it, it, you see the skies falling. Joe's never going to be the same. It's it just, it's crazy to think that way. Um, knowing what we know, number one, about advancements in, in surgery and science and two, what we know about Joe Burrow. So much of, of coming back from these injuries is the mental aspect of it and how willing a guy is to attack that rehab and, and how mentally strong he is to get past not just the pain, but the fear once you're, once you are back to doing things on the field and wondering when that next hit is going to come. And it doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue with Joe at all. Here's, and here's the overlying thing. There is no concern over the long-term ability, future, even, even mobility of Joe Burrow from anybody I've talked to. This is a matter of how much time could he potentially maybe miss in 2021, if any at all. That's what this is about. And if you're talking about the long-term future of this team, that's a, that is a blip. It is a blip on the radar. Would you prefer him to play the full 2021 season and know that for sure right now? Yeah, I just, I just can't, you can't, you can never say that for sure. But, you know, I think despite the doom and gloom that's out there, things do look relatively good. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I just want to bring you a, a few answers uh, from a couple of these doctors that I talk to um, to hear sort of them talk you through it and, and, and get a better understanding of, of this on the mental side, which you mentioned, Jay, um, and also just on some of the, the, you know, the medical analysis of this. Um, so I have a couple of doctors here. This is you're, you're first going to hear from Timothy Gibson, uh, MD, orthopedic surgeon at Memorial Care Orange Coast Medical Center in Fountain Valley, uh, California. And then you are also going to hear from Dr. Riley Williams, who is a medical director and head team orthopedic surgeon for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they're going to kind of talk through a couple of different aspects of this. So um, here is uh, Dr. Williams and Dr. Gibson. I guess my biggest questions um, revolve around when you add in an MCL tear with an ACL tear and what, what the biggest complications are and the challenges that, that present compared to, you know, your more, your more standard ACL. 
to be honest, typically it doesn't make that much additional difference. Okay. Most MCL injuries that are mild, you can actually leave alone and they'll heal by themselves mm-hmm. without even addressing it. So if it's a grade one or two, a mild MCL, it has the ability to scar down because it's called it's an extra articular ligament. It's not inside the joint. Mm-hmm. So it'll actually scar down and tighten up. But if it's more severe, and if he's a, as a pro athlete, they might be a little more aggressive. I don't know who's doing a surgery. Mm-hmm. But if it's, if it's more severe, they would just repair it at the same time. And it really should not affect his um, rehab time, overall prognosis, or anything at all. It's, it's not that big of a deal, even if he needs it repaired. What will be more of a big deal is if they find cartilage damage or meniscus tears or other things inside the knee at the same time. Yeah, The ligaments should probably not be the biggest threat to his career at all. Yeah. It's just if they find other other damage at the time of surgery, and they haven't commented on that, and sometimes you don't know until you get in there. Yeah. But if there's other damage, those are the things that are a little more career-threatening than the ACL. But the MCL, you know, most of the time we don't do anything. But as a pro athlete, they might be a little more aggressive and repair it. Yeah. But I don't see them. I don't see them. Um, I don't see it uh, being a big deal for yeah. his, his prognosis. When we, you know, when they say, okay, he's got a torn MCL, torn ACL, and nine to twelve months. Does that timeline sound fairly accurate, or or has that have advancements in that even changed that where that timeline goes? I think that's probably fair. The advancement, because there's advancements in um, techniques and fixation devices, but there's certain amount of biology as far as um, graft becoming stronger um, and whatnot that you can't really change that much. So, yeah, you know, I would bet, I would bet at nine months he should be pretty good to go, most likely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would think, and it, some people go as early as six, but I think the trend has gone a little longer just to be safe. So yeah. you really know that you have all your power and your quad strength and everything else back mm-hmm. too. What, how much does uh, how quickly they're able to ha- have the surgery matter, and what dictates that? Well, classically, you don't do it right away. Mm-hmm. unless Because you do it when the swelling has gone down and you have good range of motion. So if you operate right away, there's a higher chance of getting stiffness because the knee's full of blood and it's swollen and it's kind of angry. Then you do a surgery on top of that on an injured knee and there's a higher risk of having a lot of scar tissue and having trouble regaining motion. So it's often done like two to four weeks after in general, but when the knee is ready, basically, when the swelling's down, and you have essentially full motion, which in his case, I'm sure that you know they've been working on that from day one. What's typically the difference between nine months and twelve months? What 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 are the variables in there that typically determine whether it's the front end or the back end of the timeline? Uh, it it really depends on you know there are objective metrics that we use now that that we didn't use say fifteen years ago. So most obvious one being restoration of muscle girth and strength in the lower extremities top to bottom hips upper leg lower leg and that's that's objective right side to side assuming the the other side is normal and then there are more modern things which are uh movement analysis you know watching you do a squat or you know drop from a height 
how do you land? Are you are you equally, you know, distributing weight between the two legs? Or are you still shying away from the other legs? And then and then there are other things that we seldom talk about, like you know, psychological readiness uh, for play, which which is is different. Um, we showed here that uh, there are certain psychological uh, objective scores uh, that you can use. Um, uh, there's a thing called the short form 36 that has a mental component score. And we showed that a higher mental component score prior to injury is associated with a, a quicker return to sports. So it's more than just, you know, stabilizing the knee. Uh, informally, you could say, you know, the, the individual's sort of sense of grit and sturdiness plays into that number as well. So it's kind of, that's why we always give a range because they're, because there are always things that, that we can't control as the doctors that, that play into that number. How much do you typically discover when you go actually go in when you get into, okay, there's maybe some, especially a, an injury like this that was maybe fairly gruesome and there's a lot of swelling and stuff. And you, yeah. As far as you know, how bad the meniscus looks or how bad the PCL looks, how, how much do you have to wait until you actually get in there to really understand that? Fortunately, not much. Modern day MRIs are very detailed, and you know between uh, physical exam and the imaging, you have a pretty good idea before you go in there. And there's some small issues like is a meniscus repairable or not, or or is there a, maybe a loose body or something that you missed on the MRI? That that listen, you always do a diagnostic pass through the knee joint before you do anything. Uh, but in general, the MRIs are quite specific with regards to what they show us and we can accurately, preoperatively plan based on the, the imaging studies. All right. So much, much thanks to those doctors for lending some perspective into this world and what it is. And, you know, I thought the idea. You know that that you see more success with guys with higher performance on these mental uh, acuity tests is something that bodes well. If you've listened to this podcast, as we talked about how Joe Burrow has scored off the charts in these types of things uh, in the past, I don't know, you know, how much. What does that really mean? Um, but a lot of it is grinding through the rehab. A lot of it is attacking the rehab. We'll keep an eye on when they have the surgery. That's the next thing to watch. The good news is, you know, they, they just have to let the swelling go down. So if he doesn't have the surgery tomorrow or doesn't have it in a week or two, um, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, you know, it's about whenever the knee is ready to go in there. And then when they come out, we'll know a little bit more uh, specifically about how everything went and the expectations. But, um, you know, I think there's a very real you, know, you you could see Joe Burrow out there certainly running around and doing all that stuff even uh, in the middle of the summer and uh, maybe and then you see whenever he comes out and actually can go under center and play is a, is a whole other thing but really th- uh, really good to hear from those professionals to kind of lend a little bit of perspective into what we're talking about here. I mean it almost feels like the the bigger issue with Joe will be holding him back like trying to stop that guy from doing too much in the in the rehab process and the other thing and i asked zach about this and he didn't know i don't think anybody knows but but how is rehab in the era of covid gonna be different i I think that's that's something that that we're gonna have to you know find out as this goes along now they are currently and i i can't imagine this would change in the offseason injured players are allowed in the facility nobody else is The, the other players can show up for practice and that's it but 
injured players are allowed in to do rehab and it, it we don't know for sure yet where Joe is going to elect to do his rehab, but um, he's got everything he needs here in Cincinnati if that's what he elects to do. And he, he will be able to get into the facility and, and work with the Bengals staff if that's the direction he opts to go. Yeah, he has options. He can, he can go anywhere he wants for the surgery. He can go anywhere he wants to do his rehab or whatever. I'll say this. Um, one thing that and, you know people love to question the Bengals medical staff, and certainly there are people that do. Um, but I'll say this, the one guy who I have universally from people that have been through injuries here heard that they love and swear by is director of rehab, Nick Cosgray. I have, I I mean, and I, and I'm not saying that to try to build any optimism here or anything. I'm just telling you, I I go back to, I go all the way back to Andrew Hawkins being like, I want to talk to you about Nick Cosgray. And and how in the Hawk did he have an ACL? I don't remember exactly what it was. I don't remember what Hawk I think it was. was. But it, 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 I just rem- I specifically remember that, and then I remember that repeating itself. Giovanni Bernard devel- it developed a great friendship with Nick Cosgray and loved. It. I mean, Tyler Eifert has talked at ad nauseum about the same topic. They they really love him. They love the work he does. They feel like he was great at keeping it different, keeping it new, knowing when to push, knowing when to let off. And so much of these things is about that. And, um, you know, that is something that I have universe, just being around this beat, something that I have heard over and over and over again. Um, and I think that bodes well when you talk about what we look at with Joe Burrow and his new best friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, all that to keep an eye on. And, you know, one thing, you know, that the doctor said also, I want to make sure I mention it, you know, the thing that you get into is, is cartilage damage and what that looks like and something that we'll learn more about as they go in and, and how much of that there is. That's, that's the one, I guess, variable when you talk about these things that can, that I guess maybe it sounded like a lot of surgeons differ on how you deal with cartilage damage and things like that. Again, we're getting into specifics and maybe we're too deep in the weeds, but I don't know if you can go too deep into the weeds of the Joe Burrow knee injury right now. So I'm just trying to make sure we put it all out on the table for you as this plays out. But again, to kind of recap, you know, I think expectations are that they view it as a nine month injury and that Joe will be back for the 2021 season. And the hope is that it will be the start of it. And I think there's a, you know, if you look at, you know, if if all goes well, I think it's, it's not like that's some crazy thing that's out of the question um, at all. Um, And definitely the long-term future of Joe Burrow is, is expected to be okay. I mean, look, look at Teddy Bridgewater and what he's doing in Carolina and what he's done. I mean, nobody's had anything worse than that. I mean, just, I mean, call the ambulance to practice stuff for that. And so, you know, you, the med, the medical community can handle stuff like this. And the, the Carson Palmer comp brought up some blowback from people when it was brought up. I tweeted it yesterday and I saw a ton of this. Yeah, but Carson was never the same after that. Carson had a huge year in 06 and went to the Pro Bowl. He threw for all kinds of yards. Carson was arguably never the same after his elbow in 08. And that was the scary one. And if you talk to him today, we've obviously tried. Uh, If you talk to him today, he would tell you that, that the elbow was the scary one. And you look at the way he played. Look, go go check his 06, 07 numbers out. Go, Go investigate. See how that looked. 
Okay, I'm the, I, I certainly am not putting the failures of the 06 and 07 Bengals on Carson Palmer. If you want to go back and watch and go turn that flip that tape on. Okay, um, he was he was good after the knee, and, and you worry about the psychological. You mentioned that of stepping up in the pocket and worrying about this is a guy with extreme pocket presence, no fear back there. Does this put fear into him? Does it change things? That's all stuff that will have to play out, and we'll see. I do know this that the guy uh, is is made mentally different than others, and I, I I tend to think if you count him out or bet against him that you'll lose in that respect. At least that's what we've seen in his DNA every step of the way thus far here and at LSU from anybody you talk to. That's not me talking. That's not anybody. You know, that's just what it's been. So um, I think that is kind of a good. I don't know. I don't know if it, was, it definitely wasn't a nutshell, but it was <laughs> as in depth and trying to get the the real, the the actual reality of where this thing sits right now. Yeah, and it's it's just a we the reason that Zach was so reluctant to say start of twenty twenty one. You just don't know. I mean, everything can the surgery can go great. Everything there can be a setback in rehab. There, there's just so many variables out there. And I, we've seen Zach, he's been burned by this. I mean, putting a timeline on the AJ Green injury didn't work out so well for him. Uh, putting a timeline on, on Joe Mixon is, is not worked out that well. It, I think he's, we're seeing him learn what Marvin Lewis learned early in his career about, you know, talking about injuries. There's no, there's nothing that good. If you're, if you're right, then you were supposed to be right. And if you're wrong, everybody comes for your head. And how did you mislead us? How did you miss this so bad? It's just there. It's, it's science, but it's not exact. Everybody's different. Every situation's different. Any anything can happen, and, and timelines are always fluid when you're talking about injuries. Yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing. So when you hear when you hear the press conference with with Zach talking about he'll be back, this you know there is doubt baked in, and understandably so because man, we have been fed. This is the expectation, should see him back, this, that stuff here in recent years, you know, and it hasn't, it has not turned out that way. Uh, so yeah, that's part of this, but I think this is, this goes well beyond even inside of this organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is doctors outside. This is everybody else connected to this guy and cares about his future is saying a lot of, is saying the same stuff. Um, they are repeating what they have been told from inside and outside of the organization to to us. So that's that's where that's at. Um, okay, let's shift gears a little bit here. Um, we we talked about player comps. We, we talked about where this is at. Um, I want to talk into the blame game again because that's favorite thing to do, isn't it? It's our it's our favorite thing to do. We love the blame game, and everybody's yelling about it. And and you know it's important as we wrote about on Sunday. I mean, th- what the team thinks about who's to blame in this. Do- you know, if they have problems with the way things were addressed, if the way the way the game plans were played out, the way the decisions were made on who played up front on the offensive line, you think played into this? Then that's part of this. I I, I want to. The thing that comes up most is they're negligent for not addressing the offensive line. And I'll get to that in a second. The point that Zach Taylor has made and that the team has made was look at the progress that they had made and look where they were at. If we're talking about what happened, if we're talking about 
Sunday, if we're talking about as much as they have thrown the ball in recent weeks, you are talking about a team that was protecting fairly well. They really were. And and I I don't listen to the words that anybody says. Let me just give you numbers. I went back through and looked through PFF and through the next-gen stats. This is the last six weeks, okay? The last six weeks of the season, okay? PFF has the Bengals' pressure percentage on Joe Burrow, percentage of dropbacks that resulted in a pressure. Fifth. Fifth best of 30 qualifiers. These are all 30 qualifiers. Fifth best in the league over the last six weeks. Total pressured dropbacks. So now we throw in volume onto this. Tenth. Sacks. Tied for 20th. Knockdowns per game. Middle of the pack at 15th. Tied for 15th. Um, cube knockdowns is actually hit and knocked down, whether you held it, whatever, actually hit and knocked to the ground, Mid, middle of the pack, 15th. And then QB hits per game, touched it all. So, you know, slap on the shoulder pad after he lets it go, whatever, um, per game that is 19th, middle of the pack again. This is not what, what, what has been happening the last six weeks is not what was happening early in the season. You want to talk about negligence. You want to talk about, you know, issues. The early in the season stuff was bad and you can, and we should probably question that as much as they were throwing early season. And I know I wrote after the Cleveland game, like this is how you ruin Joe Burrow. I throw it 61 times behind this line. Uh, Over the course of the full season, yeah, they were in the bottom five in QB hits per game and sacks. Knockdowns per game was tied for 22nd. Uh, pressure dropbacks, 26th. Pressure percentage, total pressure percentage, middle of the pack, 16th. Um, again, that goes back to volume, which is what we're talking about here in a lot of ways. So that's the reality of what the offensive line situation was. Now, could they have addressed it in the – that's where the – I mean, that's where you take issue. But as far as what was actually happening on the field the last month and a half, th- that was not negligence, you know, in that respect. You know, they had come up with a game plan and a way of executing it that minimized the damage and allowed Burrow to more control his fate and not put it as much on any failures that could happen up front. Right, and when you look at the volume part of it with the the number of dropbacks and what you referred to, you know, throwing it 61 times at Cleveland, I mean, they're not all the same. There's 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 a good chunk of those dropbacks where he has a 0% chance of getting sacked or it's, you know, quick two steps back and fire the ball out. So you, you can't just you say all dropbacks are, are exposing him to risk. And the other thing is, you know, the sack numbers are high and there's a lot of blame on the offensive line for some of those, but – you know, a lot of that's on Joe too. He's, he's learned, he's gotten better as the season went, but, but he reading the defense, um, knowing where the pressure is coming from and, and holding the ball too long, waiting for something to open. You know, we, we saw that the first sack in Pittsburgh was one of those. It was a coverage sack where he just, he just held the ball too long. Um, a, a lot of what we saw when Ryan Finley came in 
uh, against Washington on Sunday was that same thing where he was, he just is not the same guy mentally that Joe Burrow is in, in total command of this offense. He was holding the ball way too long, um, taking some of those sacks. So it, it's, it's always a mesh of, of the offensive line and, and the quarterback and the receivers getting open. It all comes together. Um, you can't put all the blame on the offensive line, but the, you're right about the the off season. That's that's where there were they spent so much money, and it, it was it was lopsided. They put way too much onto the defensive side. And we've said forever that you can't fix everything in one off season, which is true. But you you can you can spread it out a little more than they did. They with as much money as they spent, they they could have done more for this offensive line, and they they just. They just had this belief that these, these guys that they have, they can develop and, and, and to some degree we saw that it did get a little better as the season went on, but it, that, that is an easy Monday morning slash November looking back at the offseason quarterback drill where yes, they, they, there more could have been done to, to protect Joe Burrow. But again, it's any time, as I said in our walkout, any time you're dropping back to pass, you're, you're always exposed to risk, and and you, you can't you can't play scared. You you can't say, oh, what if what if he gets hurt here? What if he gets hurt on that play? You, you just got to play the game, and you know, with if if they signed a stud right tackle in in the off season, if they dropped all that money they spent on Trey Wayne's, they spent on a stud right tackle. Does that play still happen in Washington where Michael Jordan gets beat and the the injury happens? Yeah, that that had nothing to do with right tackle. So there's Well, it, I mean, I don't know, Akeem Adenji got beat around the right side to bust him forward into it. I don't know. Did I it I mean, it, that's the the high low of it was was going forward and now you're right. I mean, alone the 600 pounds thrown into his <laughs> knee by Jordan and Jonathan Allen uh does the damage, but if he's all, going forward um, getting hit forward on the other side. I, I mean, who? I mean, it's still a hit. It's still pressure. I mean, we're talking about one play in a football game. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, you're talking about belief in Michael Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. You are talking about belief in Michael Jordan, who you had options you didn't have to start in this game. Quentin Spain is a career left guard, and Michael Jordan uh, has had a roller coaster of a year and been beat up and and you know, was on skates multiple times in that game by Jonathan Allen. Uh, you know, I, there's there's a lot. I mean, the, the bottom line was this, though, and, and I think the overall point was they did not prioritize being sure on the offensive line. They bet on that. They took a risk on that rather than being sure in order to spend that money on the defense on DJ Reader and on specifically Trey Waynes. When you talk about $14 million, and it's easy to say now because Waynes hasn't even showed up. If if Waynes was here playing and he was great, it's one thing. And who knows? And maybe they felt like there wasn't an offensive lineman that was a big enough upgrade for them. I would beg to differ on that. But um, $14 million can get you a really good guard, a really good tackle, a really good guard and tackle, um, and upgrade at those positions. You instead spent... Uh, you know, fraction of that on Xavier Suafilo, right? We talked, go back and check the tape 
on this summer talking about why would you not try to trade for Gabe Jackson, a guy who's proven guard, take on his nine million dollars. You know, you can you have that money, you can find that money. Or were you holding it back for Joe Mixon? Because again, we'll get into that conversation again. If that's what the case was, you know, an aggressive play at guard wouldn't have left you playing Fred. Maybe or maybe it does. Maybe you don't sign Suofilo there, and that guy gets hurt. We're still talking about injuries at guard and injuries up front and COVID and all that stuff that has Akeem Adeniji playing right tackle instead of you know even Bobby Hart. And we're again we're talking about Bobby Hart too. So I would also point to this. You know, they had the opportunity. Bill Callahan was out there. His son is on this staff. They, you know, they have stood on the table and stood up and tied themselves to Jim Turner over and over again. And he has, people were praising him after the Tennessee game for what they have done amidst all the trouble in recent weeks, him and Ben Martin getting things looking good and all that. Um, Still. All of this stuff about the line um, does eventually reflect on that, and it's hard to watch when across the division up north, their offensive line is one of the best in football. You know, they brought in Bill Callahan, they side Conklin. You know, outside of that, they had had problems there. They also had a draft pick, I mean, there's a lot to it. But still, the Bengals had a draft pick at left tackle. The Bengals could have gone out and signed Conklin. The Bengals could have brought in Callahan. You know, you it was the thought that we love Jim Turner. He's got this going in the right direction. We are going to spend on the defense. We believe in these guys in our building. Is the the fork in the road that happened? And if you're going to place blame, if you're going to talk about what went wrong, if we're going to talk about what went wrong here, if we're going to blame. You know that that was the crossroads. It will. I don't think I don't put it as much on what they've done this year with Burrow. You know, I, I really don't. Yeah, the, the Callahan thing. I mean, basically, it was an either or with Jim Turner. There was no way they were going to have both of those guys here. That that Callahan probably wouldn't have come here to be a a consultant or a co offensive line coach as much as he would love to coach with his son and be around his grandkids. Um, and it was, it was going to be the classic too many cooks in the kitchen. There was, it was there. If they were going to bring Bill Callahan in, they were going to have to get rid of Jim Turner. And, and Zach has stood on the table for him at every single turn. And, you know, do, does it happen again at the end of this year? If history is any indication, yes, it, it, it would be surprising the way things have gone to, to see, that pairing part. Um, so I, I, I do that. That was, that was the immediate question when, when Callahan, you know, when it was, was kind of obvious that he wasn't going to be retained in, in Washington, he was the interim after they fired Jay Gruden. Um, and that was the immediate question. And, and it was pretty much shot down uh, from the get go that, that they, it wasn't even a consideration to, to bring him in here. Exactly. That's a fact. It was never it was never even brought into the conversation, and that's and that's the point. It could have been, mm-hmm. it could have been, but it never was, and and you live with that. And again, you know, if we're talking about the assessing the offensive line coach, some of those stats about progress that I read off earlier are part of that. But so is evaluation. So you know, and so all of that um, goes into it. you know, and it goes back to another issue that I 
so often have, and it goes back to their inability to trade effectively, just so often overvaluing their own players, so often betting on progress over proven. And we saw that at linebacker in recent years um, in thinking that the guys they had were going to get better or work better than they were. And, you know, we've, and we now we see it, you know, when you question what's going on on the offensive line and the decision to bet on progress and maybe overvaluing these guys a little bit and who you have in here over who's out there. Is that because they don't know enough about who's out there? Maybe. 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 Little staff. Yeah, right. I mean, you you know, that's that's where it shows up in the when you get into pro scouting and things like that. You can know as much as you want. You only have so many eyes to watch everybody, and, and then it, maybe that's where it shows up. Let's take a quick break now and hear from one of our sponsors. All right, Jay. Let's you know. At some point, we got to do this. <laughs> uh let's um do you want to run down the list just to recap for everybody the first round picks since 2015 and what's happened uh yeah let's do that we've we, we, let's go well we'll start at the and beginning we apologize in advance for this is i mean it's almost uncalled for <laughs> but it but it, it it just we have to set the stage because it's it, when you really hear it it's 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 hard to believe when you when you have experienced it and then, then you see it in front of you, and it, and it opens your eyes even more. So first round this year, obviously, Joe Burrow played 10 games, nine and a half if we want to get specific. Uh, 2019, Jonah Williams, zero games. 2018, Billy Price, 10 games. 2017, John Ross, first round pick, three games. 17 snaps. 17 snaps. One lost fumble. <laughs> <laughs> that was his only stat. Yeah. Um, 2016, William Jackson, zero games. 2015, Cedric O'Boyhe, five games as a sixth offensive lineman in Jimbo sets. That's it. From 2015 to 2020, those that's the amount of pro- production you've gotten from your first round pick. So I, I decided – I knew it was bad, but I was like, well, I wonder where that ranks among other teams. I mean, injuries happen and, and sometimes guys, you know, if, if it's a first round pick that is a luxury depth pick, maybe he doesn't play quite as often as, as a guy that most first round picks come in or starters right off the bat. So I looked at how many games played by first round picks every team had. And when I did that, Bengals were 30th. They had 28 games from 2015 to 2020. They had got 28 total games out of their first round picks. The Chiefs had 27 and the Rams had 20. And I was like, wow, I don't remember the Rams having that many injury issues. And I went back and looked. The reason the Rams had 20 games is they've only had two first round picks since 2015. <laughs> and the reason the Chiefs only had 27 is they've only had three first round picks. So then I had to create another column. <laughs> and do games divided by picks. And when you do that, the Bengals are dead last. And the team that's 31st, the Patriots, are almost double what they have. The Bengals, six first-round picks, 28 games. That, that comes out to 4.7 games per first-round pick. The Patriots, next to last, 
36 games from four first round picks, nine. You want to go way up to the top and see why the Bengals, why the, are the Bengals and the Steelers are the Steelers? The Steelers have had five first round picks since 2015 and they've played an average of 15.8 games. And <laughs> we still have six games left in 2020 for them to add to that total. For everyone to add to that total. Exactly. And, and everyone but the Bengals. Everyone but the Bengals. Yeah. It's, it's a run. And then you go all the way back. It's, you know, now some of it you'd go back to Marvin had years where he, eased guys in or maybe they'd play on special teams or they wouldn't play at all most they, all these are due to literal injury this is all in this is not yes. none of these are in you know inactive uh healthy scratches maybe john ross maybe the john ross might yeah, have he had a healthy a scratcher too but still he was hurt he was also hurt um but you're talking about guys that were actually hurt you go back i mean there's just not a lot of history of the Bengals getting full seasons uh, out of their rookies for a long time. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go farther back. Uh, 2014, Darquez Denard, uh, 14 games, almost all on special teams. Um, 2013, Tyler Eifert played 15 games his rookie year. That was the the year that he was he he was really good and he was really healthy that year. Um, kind of an outlier. Uh, 2000 Got the stinger right at the end. Yeah. Uh, 2012, Dre Kirkpatrick, five games. Also 2012, Kevin Zeitler, they had two first-round picks that year, 16 games. Of the last 14 first-round picks, Kevin Zeitler is the only one that has played a 16-game season. A.J. had 15 games in 2011. Jermaine Gresham had 15 in 2010. Andre Smith, six in 09. Keith Rivers, seven in 08. And then you get back to Leon Hall and Jonathan Joseph in 07, 06. Both of those guys played 16-game seasons. So 13 of the last 14 Bengals first-round picks have failed to play a full 16-game season. It's wild. Like, that's just – that's wild. And then the last five years is insane because I'll I'll hear you on Obwehi and Ross. Obwehi, you knew. You drafted under the understanding you weren't getting the full year. And then Ross, you took a little bit. I mean, you knew there was some injury history there, and he was a smaller guy. And then we throw in some of the issues with the head coach and all that stuff. These are the rest are guys that have no. I mean, Jonah Williams had no injuries here. Billy Price, no injury. Guys that played four years straight. Billy and, did have the combine peck, but he that was that was not an issue for him. It was not that, an issue. He was ready for camp, and mm-hmm. and it was it was a. a foot injury in in week two that that cost him six games right William Jackson you know had played at Houston I mean you you, and then Joe Burrow played a season two seasons at LSU and you know it's it's uncanny it's 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 a wild thing but and and it goes and it does explain a lot and this team's inability to ever get the production they want out of first round picks has been as big a part of the reason why they have not been good the last five years as any other factor is though is that list of names, you know, and that's that's part of it. That's that is part of the equation, and it's health. And they'll point to health, and then you can point to guys that maybe haven't been as productive after they came back healthy. Certainly, a lot of these guys. I mean, we'll see if Jonah Williams, William Jackson. 
has been good, very good. But I, you know, are we talking first round pick? You need stars. You got to get stars in the first round occasionally. And they're a and team they without play. enough. And they got to play. And you think you have one finally in Joe Burrow, and, and this happens, and that's that's part of it. So wild stat, sad stat, super sad for everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry for all those that had to listen to it. It's been a, it's been a long week, I know, already. It's only Tuesday. Um, Jay, do you ever run past your boot? Yeah, I do. And, and this is I'm, – I'm going to – I'm not thrilled about it. It's kind of a an easy go to. I, I I put so much time into digging up those first round games played. So you guys, you get this one's pretty predictable, and I think I know where based on Twitter. I know where everybody out there listening is going to land. But just six games left. How many do the Bengals win? Is it zero? Is it one or two? Or is it three or more? I'll run with one to two and I'll pass on zero and I will boot like Kevin Huber three or more. I just, it, I just don't see a way even with some winnable, you know, some opponents like, you know, Dallas and the giants and Houston who haven't won a ton of games. I still don't see a way that they are, you know, considering their quarterback situation, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, I don't, you know, I don't see a way. I don't. Yeah, they win three plus. I'm right there with you. I, I I do see a possible window for three, and and but I'm going to run with one or two and, and pass on zero and boot three or more, just like you. But here, the, the possible window for three is. This Giants team's not very good. Um, you, this team can go one way or another. They can, and if you listen to Jesse Bates on Monday, that's, I mean, he he said he he's looking who's laying down and who's fighting, and they're playing for job. They need to know who's gonna be here next year. Um, I, I could see a little bit of a rally point around the Burrow injury and playing a bad Giants team and, and them winning that game. I also could see them going to Houston's a wreck. I could see them going to Houston and that being kind of like what we saw on Christmas Eve a few years ago, like a 13 to 12, 12 to 10, I think it was just a crazy. Randy. Yeah. Oh, Randy. <laughs> but I, I could see a game like that. And here's the other thing. I wrote about this last year and I, I just came to mind. I wish I would have dug this up. But in years that the Bengals don't make the playoffs, they have like this ridiculous ridiculously incredible winning percentage in the home finale. Like when the season is all lost, it's like they send them home happy. The The last home game of the year, they always figure out a way to win. And it's, it's not always against scrub teams. And, and this year, week 17, home against the Ravens. And early in the season, we were thinking, well, that could be a win because maybe the, the Ravens have a, C, a playoff seed sewn up by then and, and they're resting everybody. Now it looks like, Maybe the Ravens are eliminating from the playoffs in week 16 and they don't give a crap in that game. So I, I could see that possibly being a third win. But if, if you look at it now with what we know right at this moment, yeah, one to two seems like the, the one to run with. Look at Jay optimism over here. You're like, <laughs> you know what? They're, they're, they're going to, they're going to three and three. <laughs> I didn't it. say they were going to. I just said I can see a path for it. A path. I mean, yeah. I mean, a path exists. To anything, you know. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to hop on any paths. 
at this point. I'm I'm gonna stick with mine. Uh, all right, that'll that'll wrap us up. I hope everybody feels a little more informed, maybe a little less freak out. Uh, that is that is out there about this. I mean, everyone. I still expect you all to scream and yell around the Thanksgiving table, but uh, you know, uh, maybe you have a little bit of perspective behind it now. So, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back. We are going to have the Growler this week previewing the Giants game. Look for that coming up Thanksgiving morning. So if you're looking some way to kill your day, uh, we'll have the Growler look ahead. So keep an eye out on that. And then we'll have the walkout, of course, on Sunday after the game against the Giants. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you have a good one, and uh, we'll talk to you later.